Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. From the studios of the Modern School of Film, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, full battle prattle, creator, writer, interlocutor, Tom Charpling is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you on Murmur Radio. Download the show. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Subscribe to us. Yeah. Social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter, Instagram. Follow us. Follow us. Into the dark. You can go to modernschoolfilm.com where I also do the Modern School of Film. Speaking of which, two workshops coming up in the next couple of months, the Day for Night workshops, which are daytime craft classes for entrepreneurs, creators, writers, actors, and nighttime lectures with guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. June 18th through the 25th in Sao Paulo, Brazil. July 16th through the 27th in Vienna, Austria. ModernSchoolFilm.com. For all your day for night workshop needs, those are going to be a lot of fun. Classes, lectures, the whole shebang. Come say hi. Meanwhile, Murmur Radio. Welcome back to Murmur. Today on the show is Tom Sharpling. Tom is a force of nature. (laughs) For those of you uninitiated, you should initiate yourself immediately. After you listen to the episode, initiate yourself immediately. Tom is always on those lists, and he's been doing this for a long time. And it's amazing how many new fans jump in or on the bandwagon. That's a big bandwagon. And some of the smartest, coolest, funniest people are on that bandwagon on the Tom Sharpling Best Show bandwagon. The Best Show is a show he is the, let's call him the ringmaster of, uh, with his trusty sidekick, John Worcester. It started as a brick-and-mortar terrestrial radio program at WFMU. He was a volunteer there, actually, and then started the show about 2000, uh, year 2000, and it ran there for 13 years, and one year later, about one year later, it came back in podcast form, so you can go to its podcast visage and listen to it. It's really great. And it's at three hours live every Tuesday night. It's a collection of music and talking and 
some interviews and phone calls and you know real and imagined phone calls we'll get to all that it has really cool comic tonnage per square foot you know he's always on those lists of the funny people you need to know and you didn't know or you may have heard of tom sharpling and he's the perfect guest to have today for today's topic when conversation is art we have a lot of people on the show who converse for a living, talk and listen for a living. And I'm fascinated by these guests. It's not an idolatry. It's a it's a craft. It's an arts and craft thing. I'd like to learn how to do it well. I'd like to learn how to do it better. I'd like to know how those who excel in the field historically do it. And today, Tom is one of those figures for me. If you listen to the best show, it's easy to get caught up and swirled around in, in the incredible comedy he and John concoct together. John and, and Tom and their cast of characters like Philly Boy Roy and Timmy Tribble and The Gorch uh, and a guy named Ron Clontel who sort of started it all uh, with a call from Ron, a.k.a. John, a.k.a. Ron, called Rock, Rot, and Rule. That call between Ron Clontel, a.k.a. John, and Tom Sharpling became a a record became a vinyl disc and it was so popular with people in comedy outside of comedy underground bands were loving it and it really was the baptismal moment for the best show hidden not so hidden in the work that tom sharpling has done on the best show and in other corridors they do live shows as well is his incredible ability to talk and listen aka conversation and those are the best moments for me when i listen to content and i listen to a lot of content i try to i i try to stay away from interviews i don't listen to interviews I hate interviews. One of the reasons I'm doing this show is I hate interviews. I reach out to the guest and I tell them very directly, these are conversations that are not interviews. I tell the assistants, the PR people, the agents, whoever needs to know that these are not interviews, they're conversations, they're discussions. One of the reasons I like to get guests off their cycle, so to say, is they're free to talk about something other than something they're they're promoting. And sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. So when I can get a guest on like Tom and dish a little bit on how talking and listening works ethotically, uh, it's really exciting. So that's what we're going to talk about today with Tom when conversation is art and to wit when art is conversation. Tom has an incredible ability and rhythm and timing. And yes, it's comedy. Uh, some of the calls on the show are real. Some are the faux John Worcester calls. And they're, they alternate. They mix in, match. And Tom keeps you guessing. And John keeps you guessing. The, the rhythm, the timing, the listening, the questions, the day trips they take from the topics, the length of the calls is exciting to me. I know everyone wants us to talk faster. But it's incredible the the breadth and the depth that they strike. And it's really exciting. And Funny. Yes, it's hilarious. I'm not trying to take all the fun out of this today. Conversation for me, professionally, whether it's Murmur or the Modern School of Film, I always think of it as both a big and a small door. It's fun to open the big door. And when you're in there, you see all these other little doors and soon you forget how you got in. You forgot the big door. And that's another reason why I like to have people on the show and talk about a topic, talk about a, a moment of craft. So it's away from something that is traditional. It's away from something that can age. It has a usefulness to it. There is another part of it. There's the part of it where you're talking to someone and you're hopefully getting close to something with that some person, whether it's you're getting close to them or getting close to something, or you could be pushed away, but at least you're feeling something that's a form of intimacy, a form of closeness, a real form of closeness. At least I feel that way when I talk. And before we welcome in Tom Sharpling to the show via phone, of course the best way to talk to Tom, the apropos way to talk to Tom. If you'll indulge me or allow me to indulge uh, on something that happened today, the morning I'm recording this show, 
and tragically, sadly, this morning I heard the news that someone I've had here on the show and also in my Modern School of Film series died. Anthony Bourdain uh, committed suicide at the age of 61. Firstly, and most importantly, I wish Tony peace. I wish his family and friends love and peace as well during this time and onward. It got me thinking about my relationship to the guests I've had on this show and in the series and this act of conversing with them, this act of creating moments of information and possibly intimacy and possibly connection. I say possibly because I don't know. And I say possibly because I can't know. I can't know my guest. I admit defeat to that principle. After hundreds of chats with guests, I admit defeat. I could never know them. I knew Tony and I didn't know Tony. And that's okay, I think. I think it's okay because I'm not after, I'm not after biographical knowledge. I'm not after autobiographical knowledge. I'm after something that's a little more pure. And that may not be achievable, but that's my goal. That's my brass ring. It's not any less humane than wanting to know someone, but it's more possible. And it's more probable that that pure truth can be carried on, that pure thing to drive towards when one converses, when one interacts with another, that pure ounce of information, that pure ounce of a thing that can spark someone or something else into something else. That's my goal. And I may not be doing that well enough, and I may not be achieving that. And maybe there's a value in that. Maybe the value is the failure. Maybe the search and the find is not the thing, because finding is finality. I don't want finality. I don't want to know about the guest's life. I don't. And I say that respectfully. I'm not after information about them. I'm after their thoughts on something. And if those thoughts lead to something else for somebody else, then I've done what I set out to do. But here's the rub. The rub is when I'm having these conversations with these people that I respect and I'm provoked by and I'm stimulated by, I feel something. I don't know what that is that I feel. I used to think it was a closeness. I don't think it's that anymore. I think what I'm feeling is excitement (laughs) for that moment. But isn't it interesting and maybe scary that that moment that's arrived at and corralled and filled with energy goes away really quickly. And that's taken a little bit of getting used to, (laughs) admittedly. It's led to a moment or two thousand of melancholia. And it's not simply about that guest. It's about the impermanence of things, of anything we seek, the impermanence of unlocking something. And connecting with people through words does unlock something. What that something is, I used to want to know. I don't think I want to know anymore. But maybe it's something better. Maybe it's something more important. Maybe it's something more useful. Maybe it's something that can help me. Maybe it's something that can help you. Maybe it's something that can help that guest, although they'll never say. So maybe my melancholia was misplaced. Maybe there's a connection, but it's not the connection as I drew it up. It's a blind connection. It's almost the connection that I feel with my students, knowing that the moments in time with them won't manifest for many years, and I may never see those moments manifest. So when I thought of Tony today, I thought of the moments he and I had together. There have been moments. Is something created out of that? It's created for me. Is that enough? It's not only enough, it's more. When it doesn't feel like more, it's probably time to stop doing it.
We'll see. We'll see how many moments are left. They could be useful to you. They could be not. For me, I can tell you they will be. I don't ask questions that I don't want to know the answers to. So by definition, I already know my talk with Tom will be worthwhile. Today on the show, Tom Sharpling, now this. But I think they all, I think Madonna and all those people kind of have that. You got you, you to gotta use people to get where you want to go. I guess if you have your eyes on the prize to that degree. I've heard the, the same thing about you. What about, what do you mean? You know, you, how you got to where you are. Well, you mean like I'm burning through people? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that I would say is not true. Well, I get into a lot of arguments with, you know, a bunch of folks from my school about it. Really? They tell me that you think you're this big fish in a little pond. Uh-huh. You said you're where, uh, Andy? Oh, uh, Lake Newbridge. Oh, man, you guys got uh, really pounded with all this rain last week. Um, you mean, um... With all the, the rain. I mean, last week it was, it was raining so hard. I know just over there with the water levels and everything that uh, was, it was pretty intense. Oh, yeah, you know, I did hear, uh, it, it seemed like there was some kind of action going on up there, but we're all fine down here, yeah. What do you mean, do you mean, like, down in that down in that area? I mean, because... In the lake, yeah. Do you mean in the lake, I'd say I'm kind of losing you, do you mean in the lake, like on a boat? No, You're... In, in the lake. In the lake? Yeah. What does that mean? What do you think it means on, under the water? I've, but exactly. What, what does that? I'm asking you where you live, and you're saying you live in the lake. Uh, and if you would listen, you would hear me say, "I live in the lake under the water." Well, I guess how would be the next question I would ask. I'm a carp. What do you mean? What's a, what do you mean a carp? Do you mean like the fish carp? Yes. I'm losing you here for a second. You're saying you're a fish? Yeah. Why? Well, cuz you well, cuz you're kind of you're talking to me first of all. Well, you're talking to me. We're all God's creatures. I just happen to live under the water. So I'm talking to a carp right now. Yeah. Why? Well, cuz I don't think I've ever talked to a carp before. Well, first time for everything. I uh I ate what they call a skittle. Other day, someone thrown that in the water. A skit like the candy, a skittle. Exactly, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> a skittle. I, I I see ads for it on TV, but uh, never really had one before. Hey, guess where I am? Where? Aquaman's place. Aqua? What? So Aquaman lives in Lake Newbridge? Yeah. Basically, he spends most of his time in the Atlantic, you know, doing what he does. But uh, he's got this summer castle in Lake Newbridge. I'm so I'm really confused here. Now is that how you're listening to the show? Yeah, I mean he's he's got this slam and joint here. He's got Monster Plasma TV, Xbox, Killer uh, Mac computer, Bose sound system. That's what I'm listening on right now. So you're listening to the the show on a Bose sound system mm-hmm. in Aquaman's what castle? Yeah. Under under the water in Lake Newbridge. Yeah. But how how are you talking on a phone? You're a fish. Uh, it's a headset, dummy. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. That's okay. So, you, oh well, thank you for being so forgiving. Well, no apology could be too big. I mean, you have to realize the fact that I'm talking to a fish. Oh well. 
what is your whole deal? Like you're talking really tough, you know? What do you mean I'm talking tough? You're talking like, I don't know. It's like the, the vibe is just douchey, you know? It's like, well, you come in here and you're running Aquaman. Uh, it sounds like you need to, it sounds like you really want to throw down. Hey, look, jerk. I'm pretty well connected with a certain bunch that operates just off the shore, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. You don't want to mess with these cats. Yeah. All I need to do is get the word to them. And next time you and your family go for a dip at Ocean City... Yeah. I hope you have an ambulance on call, because it's not going to be pretty. So you're just, you just are threatening to just... Your, your friends, what are they? Uh, you saw the flick, didn't you? What's the flick? Uh, I think it was like a trilogy. Maybe there were four of them, even. One was in 3D... Oh, Jaws. Uh, yeah. yeah so you have, you're friends with, like, what, a great white? Try a whole bunch of them. Yeah, so they're going to come and attack my family if well, we go swimming at the beach. Maybe your family. You uh, definitely, yes. Me? Yeah. So you pretty, you're talking about t- talking tough and then letting other people do the, your dirty work. Hey, it's just like Hoffa did. What's that? He would call the shots and then other guys would, you know, hack guys up. Yeah. I'm sort of like a Don in training. Oh, oh, so you're like a big shit. You kind of just do the talking and people people jump. Yeah, I pretty much call the uh, shots for all the You guys carp. can't even jump, right? Oh, man. You just keep digging it deeper, don't you? Oh, you're, you're, you do. I'll, I'll fight you. Why don't you and I just square off? Okay, I'm ready. Where do you want to meet? I don't breathe air, so it's going to have to be on my turf. Okay, let's let's fight uh, at the edge of the shore. Let's do it. How about uh, this coming Saturday? Gladly. Let's do it. I'll fight you. How uh, will I even know it's you? I was just looking for this stupid-looking fish. I wear a beret. You wear a beret? Yeah, why? Oh, I hate you so much. Oh, I'm going to pull you into the water, and from there on out, you saw piranha, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get piranha'd. So there's piranhas in Lake Newbridge. There will be by Saturday, yeah. Oh, so you're going to call some in. Oh, yeah. This I've got to see. Take out insurance, because uh, your wife's going to need it. Yeah, well, b- bring it on. Andy's going to chomp you. I hate you so much, and I'm going to pound you. Never. What a cliche. How cliched was that? Singing the Jaws theme. You're a carp. The jerk. Andy the carp. FMU, you're on the air. I want
when I invite a guest on the show, I make it clear uh, in one of my copious emails to them that these are not interviews, they're conversations. And after I mention the C word, I hear crickets, which is strange because this is all done via email. And I don't know if those are crickets out of fear or crickets out of complete evisceration of interest. But today's guest is different, Lo. Uh, When I mentioned conversation, not only did he respond, he sent me a train schedule uh, to and from Newbridge, New Jersey, to maybe conduct this in person. But I thought, you know, based on the work he's done, I think phone is is apropos and the way to do it. Uh, Over 20 years, he's had uh, conversations both real and imagined. Uh, He's actually had a phone call conversation made into a vinyl record. Not even Jack White pulled that off. He's been called a dip, a dipstick, a munch, a fudge munch a rube, and a dope. And that's all by the same caller in the same conversation. He is the host of Comedians in Cargo Shorts Getting Custard, which is my all-time favorite show. He has been the dreaded H-word, the host of The Best Show. Well, actually, it's almost 20 years now. First on WFMU and now on his own. Uh, He is a proud graduate of Trenton State University, and he is calling us on his coffee break at Consolidated Cardboard. A man who once picked a fight with a beret-wearing carp. Please welcome Mr. Tom Sharpling. Oh, this is Tom. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Hey. Hey, whatever happened to that carp? I mean, did you guys ever meet up? Did you throw down? Whatever happened to the carp? I never got the second part of that story. I'm sure he's still out there in Lake Newbridge, waiting for waiting for uh, to his dramatic return. A lot of a lot of characters out there, kind of hovering, just waiting to get uh, <laughs> get. Uh, re-engaged with me so we'll see yes you're you're proof that it takes all kinds you shouldn't give out your phone number so quickly to friends tom but i'm glad you gave us yours i want to talk about man this other c word conversation it's something i think about a lot and i I want to start with the big question then whittle down a little bit where are we at as a universe as a species in terms of the ability to have and the desire to have conversations i think people like to engage in conversation i think it's i think it's a a, i think it's a good thing it's it's kind of taking people out of the 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 roles of being um like a person who just asks questions and then the the person being interviewed answers the questions because there's just a shift in in the dynamic then is that the 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 interviewer is looking up at the person and then the interviewee is just even if they don't have any kind of disrespect for them they're kind of just looking down because all they're doing is fielding questions and they can be suspicious of who it is especially if it's the rapid fire stuff where you're just going in front of different people all day long like these celebrities on these junkets so it's just like nothing ever gets past a, a, a very very limited point if that's what it is but if, if everybody if the two parties are, are kind of on equal footing then it can be a whole other thing that's what's exciting well, it's kind of a big ask and i you know this equal footing thing i mean do you get that brushback at all with guests i mean a lot of guests you know already so they get the deal and i can call up a friend and have them on the show and they get the deal but what is the fear what is the fear from a guest in having a conversation are they worried about saying the wrong thing i mean we're so guarded now do you think that's part of it i i think i think and i think one of the big fears and and i don't blame people for having this fear is that if you don't know the person you don't know if they have some kind of agenda if this is some chance they're going to 
do some like gotcha kind right. of thing and then right. make their make their bones on your uh, disaster of an interview because they because they came in ready with knives out just trying to make uh, trying to get attention for whatever for wherever the interview is going to be heard or seen it's um I, th- I think there has to be some level of of wariness with that because it is because there are people who do that they come in and they're just they're just seemingly just having a conversation and then all of a sudden out come questions that are that clearly there's some other agenda there i've had it i've had it happen to me and i'm not anybody anybody cares about and i've had people come and try to turn an interview into something uh something that wasn't what i thought it was going to be when we when we had said we would do it i hope this isn't one of those well uh, you know cut cut to cut to me you know uh, pitching this interview to Entertainment Weekly about the bullshit you said about Patton Oswalt. I mean, that's oh, that's how it's going to yeah. go down. I mean, um, no, it is a weird thing. <laughs> We're talking about well, good, good luck with that, first <laughs> of all. Good luck with that with that blockbuster sale. I don't spend all the money in one place. I'll split it with you. For, for we'll, that one. we'll do an end around. Yeah, we'll yeah, do an split. end around. We'll rig it. Okay. And then I'll and I'll flip, uh-huh. I'll flip you back. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to get to that the J word, which is journalism. And it's funny. I I tell I have to tell publicists a lot i'm not a journalist and that's an easy thing to say but as you say words can become journalism really quickly but you know that aside can i ask a pretty disarming question about our talk uh when i sent you a note to be on the show what were you thinking and and i want you to be honest and i'm scared to ask the question because i'm paranoid enough already but when i sent it to you what what not knowing me we don't know each other what did you think um and and what made you accept it just this is not a booby trap i'm just curious uh, I would say when I read it, I was just like, I, I was, uh, curious about what it was. And then I looked and it, you it had a track record and then that, that makes it go down a lot easier that I'm not the first one stepping into a, uh, in, <laughs> into some sort of trap. At least other people have stepped in It's just... Yeah, you just want to know that somebody has some kind of track record when right. they do a thing, and then it just then you just it's like that's 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 it. I, I appreciated the the people who talked to me and bands that talked to me when I was in my twenties, and yeah, if I can do that for someone else, then sure, I'll do it. You know, it's interesting, and I wasn't fishing for a compliment or in, or in any way. I mean, I'm I, I always wonder what inspires people to want to talk about things. You know, aside from the professional uh, ethos or etiquette of doing conversations, I want to talk a little bit about like the day to day. Are you so? Do you like to talk to people during like day to day? Is that is that a labor, or do you genuinely find interacting? Uh, enlightening when you're in Newbridge do you find do you like talking to the guys mm-hmm. at the radio hut I mean those are creepy guys I get that but um, do you like talking to people you know that that stuff's not real right? I do I know that yes like a, uh, I do this isn't a uh, I know. we're not at some crossroads here where I've got to sit you down and, yes, and no. have a <laughs> very difficult conversation <laughs> um, no I like I like talking to people sure I like it's 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 what it's, it's part of life and yeah, but I'm pretty I'm pretty quiet also. I kind of keep to myself. I'm not I'm not the person looking to drum up conversations just for the sake of hearing my own voice. 
there's always those people who are waiting to just do a to to make a speech and look for any anything can be the the uh the launching point i, I don't do that yeah i just like i i kind of keep my head down and navigate through the world and i but i i like talking to people Mm. It's funny, as you were saying, uh, you just keep your head down. It sounded as if you had your head down. Let's take the opposite view. Do you think people talk a lot now and do less? Uh, I mean, because conversation can be a kind of excuse to not do something. Do you think, you know, we talk too much or we put too much information out via our mouth and not our hands and our feet? If it's an actual conversation, then you can get somewhere. You at least try to find some common ground. But it just there's just so much talking at people now, and there's also just so much of people looking at at talking as just a means to just it's a financial play now. You look at what Mark Maron started, and he was doing these things because there he was trying to get to truth and 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 trying to get answers about the people he was talking to and trying to get answers about himself. And it was, it's coming from a very pure place when he started his podcast. And, uh, now you turn around and you have every celebrity somehow is a, is, is, is in, uh, is a conversationalist looking to like, now you have like Alec Baldwin and people like that. who just like, those are, these are just commercial plays for them. They don't, care about what the other person has to say they're just they're just doing it it's a it's a showy yeah it sucks because it's just because then they dilute what the people who are who did it for the love of it they they start to they start to just kind of uh spoil it for everybody and they and then they just kind of since they're famous they go to the front of the line and you look at it with Alec Baldwin. He did this thing, and he turned it into a talk show. Yeah. He didn't care about. He doesn't care about podcasting or or the medium of any of that stuff. And it's like you look at like Mark, and it's like Mark is, is so 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 respectful of the of the of the medium, and it's a, that's clearly important to him that he 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 dug in on that and made that where he lives. And then you have these guys like Alec Baldwin who just it's like, oh, it was just a means to a television show, to just a different form of, just a different conventional form of media is all he wanted to get out of it. So he was just slumming, comes in, jumps to the front of the line in podcasting, uh, kind of swings his dick all over the place, and then just goes and does a TV show. Yeah. It's like that. that's the part that, I can't stand and it's it's every every exciting form always has these people who roll in and just do it so they can get a TV show out of it. This cherry picking phenomenon that I think is going on a lot now with podcasts, we're talking with Tom Sharpling is is driving me insane because if it drives you insane someone who's established it, it drives me to the millionth power insane. You know, one of you talk about Baldwin, and and with all due respect to the man I'm about to mention, you know, when Letterman came out with this Netflix show, I don't know him, I don't know if you know him or for friends, but that drove me a little crazy too, along these same lines. Um, I mean, I wasn't yeah. up, I wasn't up for that show, obviously, but what that drove me crazy. I don't think Dave gives a sh he never gave his thing was that he didn't give a shit, oh. like his thing was that he, he, he notoriously bad interviewer right, um, right. was the big rap on him 
was interested in comedy and not interviewing, but now all of a sudden we're we're supposed to sit down and watch this this great conversationalist navigate through the thing. I watched the yeah, and it was the most superficial interview, and anything that was interesting only came from the fact that he knows Howard Stern personally. <laughs> right, right, right. Like he he did a, he did a terrible job interviewing. It was awful, and. The only interesting things were looks behind the curtain, and it's like, well, that's not a that's not a good conversation or interview. That's just like that's just giving people a peek at a, a at, at the, the secret life, which is just like no. It, it, there there's so many people like that who this is just this is just a cheap shortcut for them to do things that when you do it when you do it badly or you do it sloppily, then it's just a it's a it's a an easy play because oh all I'm just doing is talking to people. I could do it. Who can't who can't do that? And I know famous people. Let me get them on my thing. What is the play for Letterman in the sense of, you know, is it a money grab? I mean, what the hell motivates someone like that? The guy's got more money, you know, I don't know who you know, I don't know him, I don't know his world, I can only imagine, but how could money possibly motivate him to do this? Or is it ego? Is it his deceptive amount of narcissism and ego, which exists in all of us, obviously? Like, what if you could play shrink for yeah. a second? What what is it? Is it that? Is it just to be relevant? It's like, well, it's not. It's not the money. The guy has enough money to last him. So how many lifetimes in terms of the money this guy was making? Right. He's it's, he's not doing it for. He's not worried about putting food on the table anymore. Um. Yeah, it's like I understand it. He's not done. He he didn't want to do that anymore. The 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 hour long late late. You know, he didn't want to do that show anymore. So he's trying to find another thing to do. But what else is he going to do? Is he going to go act in a thing? No, he's <laughs> not going to go. He doesn't want to. Any of these things are just out of his comfort zone. So this is the most comfortable comfortable thing in his comfort zone is to just do a thing where you sit down and you talk and then it's just and look maybe the guy's a deeper guy now because he's uh. stepping away from stuff it's like i don't i certainly I, I don't necessarily see it it's a way to stay in front of people he's not done he doesn't want to go away forever like johnny carson when he went away he was gone forever you never saw him again but still isn't finished being in front of people and doing stuff. And so it's like, this is what he does. It's like a no risk yeah. kind of play. It's almost impossible to, you have to be so bad at this <laughs> to fail. Yes. If you just sit down with a famous person, too, stu like, <laughs> too stupid to fail. Too, yeah. It's too easy to fail. Kind of, yeah, you're 95% you're of the way there. If it's David Letterman <laughs> right. and it's another famous person, you, you're almost, you're almost across the finish line with just those two elements <laughs> right. being dropped in front of you and filmed. He's traded one form of masturbation for the other, you know, and that people do that and that's cool. And it's their prerogative, his prerogative, but I would see cabin boy too. I know you would as well. So if he wants to do, I would love, I would, yeah. Yeah. I, like I Adam Resnick, my friend, Adam, Resnick Adam's great. Co-wrote co and directed Adam's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And, uh, I would love to see Cabin Boy too. I don't. I I would not hold my breath for it. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see. It. He's been on the show, Adam's awesome, and uh, you know, 
people who know know how awesome Adam is. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. I want to talk a little about this a little bit differently, speaking with Tom Sharpling, you know, because I, I think I'm going to just be a little more disarming here. If you listen to the best show and the work you do, you do do, and I just said do do, you do do something really well, and you may not care or think it's a thing, but I think it's a thing. The, the, the conversations you do, both real and imagined, are really well done. Like I don't think anyone quite holds a conversation like you um, publicly. I was reading, you said you were a well-behaved kid growing up. Where did you learn to like talk and listen? I mean, you know, were you, was that part of the etiquette of your childhood? Not to get too psychoanalytic about this, but I'm, I'm wondering, um, wh- where did you learn how to like talk and listen to somebody and converse with somebody? Huh, I guess I probably just learned that from being around adults and maybe, um, maybe being a kid that, that grew up a little too fast in terms of being treated like an adult earlier than I probably should have. And, uh, you kind of just learn how to conduct yourself. If you're like, if you're a well-mannered kid, then you just, you, you learn how to, you get a, a, a sense of empathy and those things kind of fall into place. And you, it's up to you to find the balance with it and to turn it into a, something that doesn't eat you alive when you're an adult because you can't just be all empathy you can't carry the world uh you can't fix everyone's problems uh you have to kind of be yourself and, and figure out who you are in the face of a lot of these things but so i would say that combined with watching watching talk shows and listening to radio talk radio Bob Grant all adds up. I've heard you name check Bob yeah. Grant, Bob Grant as a yeah, as an architect P- politics a politics yeah. aside that, right that was a big part of the uh, the Letterman Howard Stern thing right. I was I right. was pleasantly surprised that that he brought up Bob Grant on it as an influence for him also cuz he's look he's older than I am so he he had been listening to Bob Grant way before I was but yeah, this guy was this guy was a, a was a in New York radio. He was a a giant, and he was completely repellent as a human. But he was one of these guys. He just knew how to turn radio into theater and how to kind of box with the callers or whatever you want to call it. He knew how to just make it make it uh, entertaining. It was there. Really, was there's nobody like that. It's uh, and it probably he probably had to be as repulsive as he did as a human to be that to have that edge. And then just I'm trying to be a good version of that. Maybe <laughs> I guess I don't know. Bob Grant later this afternoon at three on seventy seven WABC. Mitchell, you're on WABC. Hello. Hi, Bob. How you doing? I've been hearing the show. Well, a stupid question. How are you doing? Uh, would you, uh, Bob, Rich, uh, give Mitchell uh, my at-home uh, number so we can chat after uh, the show? Bob, you freak. Why don't you keep I'll your be home at about 8 o'clock, Mitch. Give me a call and we'll, we'll chat. Bob, you you want to chat? You've got a problem, Bob. I just asked how you are, Bob. How you doing? How you oh, doing? Good. How you doing? How you doing, Mitch? You stupid. You man. know what? I'm tired of that routine. I don't consider it amusing. Never did. Don't know, never will. 
Get off my phone and stay off my phone, you bum, and I hope you drive into an abutment. Uh, it's, it, but, but he would do things like he would be impatient with callers. He'd hang up on callers. That's where get off my phone comes from, right, the right. whole idea on the show gomping people. I, I started that on the show. I thought I was making the most obvious reference to Bob Grant and people who lived in, in this area in the New York, New Jersey area would be like, yeah, it's Bob Grant. You're, 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 it's like you're, you're doing Bob Grant with that. I'm like, yeah, no, I know I'm doing That's why I'm doing it. Right. It's a, it's, it's such a direct reference to him. And if not just outright taking his thing, <laughs> yeah, no, that's Bob Grant. But then if it just became a thing, I, it, People didn't know about Bob Grant. It was a very regional thing. And that's maybe also part of the appeal of this guy was that he was just like a, a New York dickhead, uh, like a conservative New York jerk. It was not made to play nationally. And anytime he tried to do like something on a national stage, it's like when he was toward the end of his career, he would watch like Rush Limbaugh blow up and, Sean Hannity, guys who were on the same station he was on, and WABC, Yanni yeah. and WABC, and they could, he could not do what they did. No, those guys. I, I think it's a different kind of cynical in a way. I think those. I, I think those guys are cynical in a um, in like a huckster kind of way, like like the way like a like a, a medicine show would be rolling through town to town and ripping people off and then keep rolling, or like a fake preacher or whatever. Those guys wrap themselves in the flag, like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, and they they play the thing as if everything is like as if the world is like a G-rated place. Ultimately, that that and that's what they're trying to get back to. And it's like Bob Grant and like Bill O'Reilly, guys like that. They know it's not a G-rated world. They know that the world's dirty, and they're just doing their thing in this dirty world. Yeah. I think Trump has the New York hustle thing. I mean, I've heard people just say it's like, yeah, you know, Trump's just a Queens real a real estate guy. And then it kind of all makes sense. Just like, is it, does this make any sense? The idea of like Did, that kind of. I'm, I'm, I was born in, in Queens. I remember WABC when Ron Lundy was spinning discs. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how sure. fucking old I am. So, yeah, um, to me, you're, you know, you're preaching to uh, the Raspberry Choir here. Um, do you think Hannity is, is a hustler in that sense, too? Or do you think he's a, think he's he's a charlatan? I think he's more of a charlatan. He's not a, he's not a hustler. He's like, he believes the stuff. I, I think it comes down to it's it's kind of like kind of like Marvel versus DC, where it's like these <laughs> DC characters are like Sean Hannity and Marvel, where they're like they actually are like trying to stand for something in terms of just like this is the the pride and purity of America and this this wholesome thing, and then like the Marvel characters are kind of screwed up and are just like yeah no we believe in that but the world is screwed up place too and you kind of got to just take care of business yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you get what you got to get and if it's not perfect then that's just how it goes because that's how the world goes i don't know maybe no I'm, i i am so far off the ledge now i i uh jump man no I, I i i agree with you you know it's funny there's a couple of parts of this the duality piece of these interlocutors always fascinated me as a kid like stern I remember Stern on NBC to be like this guy on the air and this 
family man, so to say, off the air. Like that part of it is really interesting to me too. But I, I think Hannity has found the angle and is going to drill past oil. It's something, you know, Glenn Beck, Beck was a DJ. He spun records. He was a fa- he was kind of a failed, mediocre DJ, and found. I feel like he found an in. I don't think he found like a light like the Poltergeist. I think he found an in. But anyway, I don't want to litigate all these names. But it, I love your Marvel DC analogy. You know, I, I think like someone like Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. He gets how effed up he is, and that's the state of the world through his eyes. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah. And I was thinking something you and John do incredibly well, Laurel and Hardy asked to me about it, or talking and listening. I, know, I have a lot of comedians on the show. There are a lot of comedians I've hung out with. I think you're an incredibly funny guy from afar. I, I don't know if you'd call yourself a comedian, but well, and frankly, it's not always easy to have a conversation with a comedian because the listening is skewed and the performance value is never far from their mind and talking and listening is often bastardized when you talk to a comedian. And I, and I understand that intellectually. I, I worked for a comedian. It was tough, man. You could never have the last word. You could never be the funniest. Mm-hmm. You could never be the funniest guy in the space. Do you think comedy has helped you with that rhythm and that meter of talking to people? Or do you feel like that jaundiced your inner compass for being someone who could have a conversation? Well, I, think, I think you could say that there, there, there's a couple of distinctions there. I think stand-up comedy is different than improv, which I think the improv is requiring people to listen a little more and to kind of share the share the ball. But I would, and stand-up, stand-up is this, this weird thing where people are talking from the uh, perspective of pretending that you're having a dialogue when only one person has a microphone. <laughs> right, right. Where somebody will just go like, did you see, did anybody see <laughs> this new right. Avengers movie? And then it's just like the last thing that they want is somebody to start... <laughs> talking about the Avengers movie like that's literally the last thing they want but they're phrasing it in the co- in the yeah. form of I'm asking you a question don't answer it <laughs> and that, rhetoric yes yeah yeah fame is the overarching thing though that makes people not listen I think and that they just become convinced that they're they're just going to have the answers and that they're smarter than the, than everyone else and yeah it's a, fame is a weird a weird thing it really uh, really makes some people think they're geniuses even though they can they they can do one thing incredibly well or moderately well suddenly they start to think they could do open heart surgery if, that, <laughs> or, or if only they had applied themselves they could have done that too yeah, like yeah. everything is they think they could have done anything. I mean, comedy is, I don't, you know, we could spend hours and hours diagnosing it through comedy, you know, but you, you did hit on that word that I think podcasting suffers from, I think Twitter suffers from, and email may have started it, or maybe, maybe stand-up started it, is rhetoric. You know, what you've done on the show so brilliantly with John and just, you do it systematically you've created a format and a form for talk that's rhetoric proof because it's so rhetorical it's so deeply rhetorical that it's not rhetorical and this is the problem with podcasts all respect to mark or whomever i hate them because they're so goddamn rhetorical do you think there's too much rhetoric in the world and there's rhetoric as entertainment which you know stand-up is but there's also real uses of rhetoric now that scare the shit out of me does it scare you 
But like what scares you? Like Twitter a little bit. I've had people rip me on Twitter and I can't rip back. Who ripped you? I can't. Ripped I you? can't tell you on the air. I'll I'll I'll, I'll email. Okay, cut it out. We're not this is not live. <laughs> cut it out. You, you've got to. You just cut and pay. I, 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 I know. You're right. You're right. I scroll think. across the thing I, and highlight <laughs> it and delete. Are you looking at my? Are you looking? Are you looking at my audacity line as we talk? Uh, no, I've no. been in front of a computer before. Uh, this is. I, just, I, I can't go. I, I'll, I'd rather do it face to face. This is a bigger one, and I don't want to be glib about it. Honestly. I don't want to be face to face with you. No, I don't blame you. I don't want to have to be face to face. I'm gonna have to start ripping you on Twitter. We can't. We can't get custard. Uh, we can't. <laughs> we can't go to the the pant whipping yeah. tournament. We'll see. Um, we'll no, see, but, we'll but, but but I do we'll think see. you know there's this yeah. there's this who has the biggest rhetorical dick wins, is that true? And if so, like doesn't it suck? <laughs> well, it's a game. It's a, you, if you look at it, it just uh, look at it that it's a it's a it's a. I mean, uh, this phrase is thrown around a whole lot now, and it's becoming more meaningless. It's like a false construct. It only works if you believe in it. And you're the one putting the value on it, and you can leave it at any given time. You don't have to. You can just say, like, Twitter means nothing to me. And then suddenly, if you believe it, it means nothing to you. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you're – or you can say, I choose to believe this to a degree. And then if you hold yourself to that, then that's where you're at. I, I left for a bunch of months, and I was happy doing that. Then I realized it's like, unfortunately, I do have to be on this dumb thing just to 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 let people know about the show every week. And it's just it's an unfortunate part of it. So I go on, I goof around now. And I think I found uh, a, a medium uh, like a like a, a spot that works for me on it that I'll go on a couple times a day. I just I don't write political stuff. I just goof around and then I split and then I could talk about what what we're doing with the show or whatever, and it just doesn't feel like it's a, a crass uh, commercial Twitter account that it's just news getting blasted at people. It's like, no, Tom's actually on here, and I talk myself in third person. Horrifying. Yeah, you're not, but, a, you're not a self-promoter, and if you are, you're a shitty one, which is great. Your bow tie doesn't spin, and if it does, it, it needs new batteries because it ain't spinning. So, But you're right. I think it gives we give it the power. It has the power we give it, but you know, we a lot of people give it a lot of power. I guess that's what I was referencing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's undeniable. Yeah. But you can only be accountable for yourself yeah. with this. One more beat and then a, a, a goodbye. Uh, Tom Sharpling graciously giving us his time here. This is going to sound tongue-in-cheek, but it's not meant to. And and as an independent creator, I get guests on the show, present company included and excluded. You know, a lot of people I reach out to directly. I reached out to you directly. You were really gracious and quick. You know, people I know through people, you know, and comedians are great like that. They'll say, oh, yeah, I can help you get this person and da, da, da. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you genuinely thought you were connecting with, but they didn't feel that. You know, we talk about some pretty important shit. Like, I think you do deceptively, I do deceptively. Like, this stuff means stuff to me. And I may, yeah, I may want to meet you and get a coffee one day, but would you be like, what? What is that idiot? I don't want to meet him. Like, what is that contract? You know what I'm saying? Between talking and meaning. Should I just assume you and I are not close in any way? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and that conversation has led to a real friendship through that conversation? And basically the question is can you and I be best friends soon? Well, I'll feel the last part <laughs> first. 
<laughs> I knew. I knew you would. Go on. Yes. We'll see. About being best friends. We'll see. I can't. That's, that's not okay. something I can just. Okay. Okay. I can just uh, give I'm out. Ready to say yes on that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But that's the whole thing, though. When you have a conversation, and when it feels like if you're giving any part of yourself to the conversation, you start to feel like you're you're sharing a thing with someone. Right. Right. And it, it if you find out that they're just good at at doing that doing that dance, but then just kind of like, oh, they what they were not. They can just take it or leave it once they're past that moment. That it, that. I can see how that would sting because you feel like, oh, I thought we had a thing going here, and there yeah, were, yeah. and and then me that they would just be like, and nobody would say it in this blunt terms. But it's, I guess the subtext is that it would just be like, no, we did the thing because we were in front of people and we we had a conversation, we had fun, and I don't know what more you want from that. <laughs> like, what? Why are you assuming that this was some right. first step in some? larger thing it's like that was the thing and then you have to just go okay that was the thing but and it, i i know that feeling isn't it fucked up you though realize, Is oh, it, okay it's fucked up because oh, of, you put your heart into it uh, you care there's nothing wrong with caring but it, but this, you, is, this is the, if this is the downside of caring then you can you you, you gotta <laughs> accept that and say like okay well that's if that's the if this is the worst part of it then this is pretty good because this is not that bad that I, I felt too connected to someone because we shared something that was, was a legitimate experience when we were talking. That's not a bad thing. It just doesn't, you just, your, your boundaries are a little askew. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta tighten those boundaries up. That was my nickname in college. Uh, boundaries askew. That's uh, my screen name, actually. My boundaries. Gmail. Yeah. It's a, you're right. Intellectually, you're hundred percent right, but there is real shit being discussed, you know? So have, have you, has there ever been a case where you completely miscalculated the, in the trigonometry of the, for lack of a better word, intimacy? Cause that's what it is too. I mean, I grew up listening to radio, whether it's Bob Grant or Howard, Stern or whomever, you feel like he's talking to you sometimes, right? So have have you ever miscalculated? You feel it? like he's talking. You feel like he's talking at you. Yeah. I think that's a there's a when these people get too big, it just feels like they're they're like they're it's, it's just an endless speech, and they're coming down from on high, and it's like I don't know. I don't feel like I'm coming from on high with this stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm just I, I I the show never made a nickel until last year. Everything was break. Last year was the first year that the that the, the best show in any form made a profit. Everybody who does the show gets something. Nobody's getting rich on it by any means and my main goal is to just make sure I can keep doing the show with this in terms of covering all the expenses and all that stuff. I just want to make sure that the the show is solvent and can continue if, if the if the floor falls out on like the Patreon, which is where we're making the the budget for the show is coming from that. So it's like I, I'm not coming at Vermont High, but these people when they start getting paid millions of dollars to do this thing and it's like they they eventually assume there's a reason why they're getting paid millions of dollars <laughs> and that they must be that important. And it's like, no, maybe it's just lined up that way. You're you're not worth millions of dollars. You're just getting overpaid for a thing. It's like, look, I'd love to get overpaid like that, but 
it was never in the cards and I got to do what I wanted to do the way I want to do it. It's like, I'll, I'll still take that over, over being some, like some loser on radio who still is beholden to some bosses and stuff. There's no bosses with this thing. Now the buck really stops with me and with John Worcester. And that's it. That's it. It's just like what flies with us is what, what happens. Like if we, if, if I want to do it or we want to do it, we do it. And that's how it goes out. And that's what people hear. And there is just, I'd rather be, I'd rather be where I'm at, just kind of in the middle of the pack, but free than be some, some buddy at the very top of, of the thing. And you're just, but you're still just dancing all the time and you're still boxed in. You still have bosses. Because they they write those big checks, they also can stop writing those big checks the first time there's any trouble. You're and yeah, and then you got to do things the way they want you to do them, and we we don't have to do that. I don't. It's not how I do stuff, and it's, it bleeds over into my writing career, which is kind of my which is my day job, and I just kind of conduct myself just like. I try not to work on things I don't want to work on. And I, I know what it takes to put food on the table and it doesn't take that much. And I never got into any of this stuff to be rich or any of that. So I just, I got into it to do good stuff and that you just, you just create a, a, a personal standard and you hold yourself to it. And then things start to just answer themselves for you. You know, what's wrong and you know, what's right. And then you can kind of, just focus on the good part of it. Henry Jaglum is a filmmaker and was really good friends with uh, Orson Welles. And Welles once said of his career, sure. Welles once said of his career, I started at the top and worked my way down. And I asked Henry, I said, do you think Welles was ever afraid to succeed? And he like said, no effing way, basically. Have you ever been afraid to succeed? Forget the big goo-goo-plex, uh, you know, monopolies of radio. If someone handed you a bag of money to do your show, would that make you sleep better yeah it'd be great and hand a bag of money to do the thing of course i no, i don't worry about success it's like i just because like because first of all there's no finish line on any of this stuff so it's like what you don't even know what success is until it's done so you're done with all of it you don't know how far you got yeah yeah so you just gotta yeah. keep doing stuff day to day with it it's like people make these great albums it's like they weren't Nobody who made a great thing was doing it for the legacy. They were doing it because it's a great thing they could do that day. Then through whatever talent and fortune, the thing stood the test of time. But it's like people just, you just got to, you can't make things for, for the, for all of eternity. It's a guaranteed way to make sure something's terrible. <laughs> is if you're, if you're thinking past today when you're making it, yeah. it's got to make the best thing you can do right now. Right. I like doing stuff that, that makes me laugh and if people like it that i i have a very small pool of people in my mind when i'm doing stuff i think of a few people and i'm just like yeah i think they think that was funny right and then i just have to assume there's more people like those people <laughs> i can't think of everybody when i'm doing it i think of a small group of people and if they would laugh at it then, then there's more like-minded people that would laugh at it too and that's it's just it, yeah. Or if they would find it interesting, or any of those. So if it comes down to conversation, then yeah. If, it's, if I'm having a conversation and I think of how someone would that that I trust their 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 kind of compass 
with this stuff if they're not if they would be bored by this and it's like if i'm feeling like it's running out of gas and then i think about how they feel about it then it's like yeah it's time to time to change it because this is the, internally i know this is this is off track but conversely if it's interesting and i find it interesting if it might not be for everybody, but I mean, cause I can find anything on every single episode of the show where someone will say that was my favorite thing. And then someone will say, I hated that, right. and it's just a, right. but they're both valid. Right. It's like, right. it just means people, it's just like, if somebody says they think the show sucks, it's like, that's perfectly fine. I think plenty of things suck. I'm just happy that you consider what I'm doing. Something that is, that merits being rated in a way. So that's, that's the goal is to just kind of you're making something that that can be evaluated. The worst part is to to make something that no one cares about either which way and doesn't even think deserves a, a ranking. So some feeling yeah. is better than no feeling at all. And one of the things is we say goodbye to Tom Sharpling, who's been with us really graciously giving us a lot of his time today. One thing I do historically shittily on this show, it's the first guest I ever had. I, uh, as she was saying, congratulations, good luck on the show. I literally clicked off on her. I didn't mean to, I just didn't, I suck at saying goodbye. I suck at ending conversations. So how, do, how, how do you end a conversation? I mean, you just should I say goodbye? Do you want to say goodbye? Should I hang up? Do you want to like get into an argument? Like, what? How how did things end? Just give me what I've given other people <laughs> when I talk to callers. That's all I ask. Just hang up on me. I'll I'll just start talking, and you just and get off of my phone, Sharpling. How dare you? I want to thank Tom Sharpling for being here with us today on Murmur. I want to thank you for being here with us today on Murmur. You could be with us all the time, should you choose. MurmurRadio.com. Download the show, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Follow the show on social handles at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. ModernSchoolFilm.com. I will be in Sao Paulo June 18th through the 25th. Vienna, July 16th through the 27th. Day for night workshops. Enroll. Hope to see you there. Hope to see you soon. Hope to talk to you soon.